Section 62 of Final Report of the Advisory Committee on Human Radiation Experiments. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by William Jones. Final Report of the Advisory Committee on Human Radiation Experiments, Case Studies, Chapter 12, Part 4. The Marshall Ease. Following World War II, the United States selected the Marshall Islands as the site of the Pacific Proving Grounds for testing nuclear weapons. The Marshall Islands are a widely scattered cluster of atolls located just above the equator north of New Zealand. They were designated a trust territory of the United States by the United Nations in 1947. The Marshallese were granted independence under a Treaty of Free Association that went into effect in 1986. The U.S. Department of the Interior oversees relations with the Marshall Islands with responsibility to ensure that the terms of the trusteeship agreement are carried out. According to the 1947 agreement, the United States, as trustee, shall protect the health of the inhabitants. Testing of nuclear weapons began on July 1, 1946, with Operation Crossroads, two tests at Bikini Atoll. In preparation for this operation, the Bikinians were evacuated in March of that year. Crossroads did not lead to any immediate exposure of the native population. However, the second shot in the series, Baker, was a 21-keloton underwater blast that contaminated the surviving test ships, posing major decontamination problems for the military participants. It also contaminated the atoll itself, which, along with further testing, delayed the return of the Bikinians, who began returning to the island in 1969. Although some radioactive contamination was still known to linger, it was believed at the time that restrictions on the consumption of certain native foods and provision of imported foods would make bikini habitable. Unfortunately, these assumptions proved wrong. After the resettlement, the AEC and its successors monitored the internal contamination levels of the bikinians and observed increases in plutonium, leading to the re-evacuation in 1978. Today, the Bikinians remain scattered around the Marshall Islands, while a new radiological cleanup of the atoll is in progress. In 1954, the Bravo shot of the Operation Castle series was detonated at Bikini Atoll. Bravo was the second test of a thermonuclear hydrogen bomb with a yield of 15 megatons, a thousand times the strength of the Hiroshima bomb. A change in wind direction carried fallout from the test toward Rongelap and other inhabited atolls downwind of it. The populations of the Rongelap and Uterik atolls were evacuated, but not until after they had received serious radiation exposure, about 200 Rentgens on Rongelap and about 20 on Uterik. What followed was a program by the U.S. government, initially the Navy and than the AEC and its successor agencies, to provide medical care for the exposed population, while at the same time trying to learn as much as possible about the long-term 
biological effects of radiation exposure. The dual purpose of what is now a DOE medical program has led to a view by the Marshallese that they were being used as guinea pigs in a radiation experiment. As happened at Bikini, the Rungalapis were resettled onto their atoll, but after an interval of only three years. Again, it was recognized at the time that some radioactivity remained, but U.S. officials concluded that appropriate dietary restrictions would minimize the danger. Unlike the case of the Bikinians, however, the medical follow-up program has continued to the present, reflecting the seriousness of the initial exposure and the added risk of continuing exposure at low levels. Five years after the Bravo shot, Dr. Robert A. Conard, then the director of the AEC's Brookhaven National Laboratory, BNL, medical team, wrote, The people of Rungalap received a high, sublethal dose of gamma radiation, extensive beta burns of the skin, and significant internal absorption of fission products. Very little is known of the late effects of radiation in human beings. The seriousness of their exposure cannot be minimized. Low levels of radioactive contamination persist on Rangalap Atoll. The levels are considered safe for habitation. However, the extent of contamination is greater than found elsewhere in the world, and since there has been no previous experience with populations exposed to such levels, Continued careful checks of the body burdens of radionuclides in these people is indicated to ensure no unexpected increase. From these considerations, it is apparent that we are obligated to carry out future examinations on the exposed people to the extent that they are deemed necessary as time goes on so that any untoward effects that may develop may be diagnosed as soon as possible and the best medical therapy instituted. Any action short of this would compromise our responsibility and lay us open to criticism. These and similar documents discussed below lay out clearly the purpose of the medical program. However, at the fourth meeting of the advisory committee, representatives of the Republic of the Marshall Islands presented documents to support their contention that by ignoring forecasts about the weather patterns at the time of the Bravo shot, and by resettling the Rungalapis on their atoll, despite knowledge of residual contamination, the U.S. government was using the Marshallese as guinea pigs in a deliberate human radiation experiment. The committee heard extensive testimony about the difficulties the Marshallese have had in obtaining information relevant to their health. Their own medical records are only now being made readily available to them. Many other documents describing U.S. government activities conducted on their soil have for too long been shrouded in secrecy or made inaccessible to the Marshallese by bureaucratic obstacles. This inaccessibility of records, combined with a history of inadequate disclosure of hazards known to U.S. researchers, has contributed to a climate of distrust. In our review of materials that are now becoming available, we found no evidence to support the claim that the exposures of the Marshallese, either initially or after resettlement, were motivated by research purposes. On the contrary, while there is ample evidence that research was done on the Marshallese, we find that most of it 
offered at least a plausible therapeutic rationale for the potential benefit of the subjects themselves. We have found only two examples of research in the Rongelop and Utrecht populations that appear to have been non-therapeutic. This research was intended to learn about radiation effects in this population and offered little or no prospect of benefit to the individual subjects. There is, of necessity, some tension between data-gathering and patient care when the same physician is responsible for both. The advisory committee has found no clear-cut instance in which this tension was likely to have caused harm to patients, but some may have been subjected to biomedical tests for the primary purpose of learning more about radiation effects. This inherent tension, coupled with the additional strains of language and cultural differences between the Marshall Islanders and the physicians, appears to have compromised the process of informing the subjects of the purpose of the tests and of obtaining their consent, which has doubtless contributed to their sense of being treated as guinea pigs. Insensity to cultural differences, failure to involve the Marshallese in the planning and implementation of the research and medical care program, divided responsibilities for general medical care, and failure to be fully open about hazardous conditions have all contributed to unfortunate and probably avoidable distrust of the American medical program by the Marshallese. It is of concern to the advisory committee that problems arose in explaining to the Marshallese the nature and purpose of the research activities that accompanied their treatment and in obtaining their consent for both research-related interventions, such as bone marrow, blood and urine tests, and treatment. Both Brookhaven researchers and the Marshallese agree that general medical care provided by the Trust Territory Government was inadequate. But this question was outside the scope of the Advisory Committee's investigation. What follows, as best we can piece it together, is the story of how the United States handled its responsibility to provide medical care to citizens of a U.S. Trust Territory exposed to hazard by a U.S. nuclear bomb test that went awry. The Bravo Shot The Bravo Shot was detonated on Bikini at 6.45 a.m. on March 1, 1954. Its yield was substantially greater than expected. The radioactive cloud rose to an altitude of about 100,000 feet before blowing east toward the inhabited atolls of Rongelap, Alienganai, and Rongerik, and still further east toward Uterik, Iluk, and Likiep, instead of north into the Pacific as planned. It was soon clear to the task force command in charge of the shot that evacuations would be necessary, and by the evening of March 2nd a ship was steaming toward Rongelap to remove the population. Over the next three days, 236 Marshallese were transported by sea, and 28 U.S. servicemen were airlifted from a weather station on Rongerik to Kwajalein Atoll, south of the fallout pattern, and then to a U.S. naval base with medical facilities. Merrill Eisenbud has observed, There are many unanswered questions about the circumstances of the 1954 fallout. It is strange that no formal investigation was ever conducted. There have been reports that the device was exploded despite an adverse meteorological forecast, 
it has not been explained why an evacuation capability was not standing by as had been recommended or why there was not immediate action to evaluate the matter when the task force learned seven hours after the explosion that the aec health and safety laboratory recording instrument on rungerich was off scale there was also an unexplained interval of many days before the fallout was announced to the public chapter twelve the marshallese and americans were not the only ones exposed to fallout from bravo a one hundred ton japanese fishing vessel with a crew of twenty-three called the fukuyuru maru lucky dragon was sailing some eighty miles from bikini when the bomb exploded within days crew members suffered from acute radiation sickness seven months after the test one of the crew members died the others were hospitalized for more than a year until may nineteen fifty five the event received internal attention and contributed to a worldwide protest of atmospheric testing of nuclear weapons dr victor bond a member of the medical team sent from the united states to treat the exposed population immediately after the accident said in an interview with advisory committee staff that initial statements by washington officials underplayed the severity of the effects of the exposure dr eugene cronkite who headed the medical team said he told louis strauss chairman of the atomic energy commission in nineteen fifty four of his concern that the new york times and others had reported a downright lie in reporting that the fallout hazard was minimal dr cronkite recalled strauss's response young man you have to remember that nobody reads yesterday's newspapers on march sixth the task force command approved a request by the armed forces special weapons project to establish a joint study of the response of human beings exposed to significant gamma and beta radiation due to high yield weapons thus it appeared to have been almost immediately apparent to the aec and the joint task force running the castle series that research on radiation effects could be done in conjunction with the medical treatment of the exposed populations medical follow-up on march eighth dr cronkite's mission was formally established in a letter to him that was classified secret and restricted data and said quote, the objective of this project is to study the response of human beings in the marshall islands who have received significant doses due to the fallout of the first detonation of operation castle Close quote. the project was given the designation four point one entitled study of response of human beings exposed to significant beta and gamma radiation due to fallout from high yield weapons the letter continued quote, due to possible adverse public reaction you will specifically instruct all personnel in this project to be particularly careful not to discuss the purpose of this project and its background or its findings with any except those who have a specific need to know close quote. as dr cronkite understood it his mission was to examine and treat the marshallese and the american servicemen who were exposed initial exposure estimates ranged from 15 rad for people on Utrecht 
to a hundred and fifty rad for those on Rungalap. Dr. Bond, who accompanied Dr. Cronkite on the mission, told advisory committee staff that we were given estimates of dose, but they were poor, and we still don't know very well the effects. The Marshallese were exposed to highly penetrating gamma radiation, which resulted in whole-body exposure. External radiation from deposition of fission products on the skin, internal radiation from consumption of contaminated food and water, and, to a lesser extent, from inhalation of fallout particles. During the first few days after Bravo, several of the people from Rongelap were suffering from nausea and vomiting, the first signs of radiation sickness, depressed white blood cell counts, and slight hair loss. Only one of the Marshallese exposed on Alienigenai at all had these symptoms, and none from Uterich had them. The American servicemen on Rongerich were asymptomatic as well. Although the medical program for the exposed Marshallese was designated a study, both Dr. Cronkite and his successor, Dr. Robert A. Kennard, maintained the project never included non-therapeutic research. Both men assert that the primary goal has always been the treatment of the exposed population and that the data that were collected were always intended first and foremost to benefit the Marshallese. There is no conclusive evidence available to the advisory committee to contradict their statements. In examining various studies of the Marshallese that could have been driven by pure research goals, the advisory committee has found treatment-related goals that are at least plausible. It appears that in the medical follow-up to the Bravo shot, treatment and research objectives were essentially congruent. Dr. Cronkite and his team arrived on Kwajalein the same day he received the memorandum establishing their mission. They set up examination and lab facilities in a building adjacent to the living quarters of the Marshallese and began their work. Team members took medical histories with the help of translators, inspected skin to monitor for radiation burns, took body temperatures, drew blood regularly to check white cell counts, platelet levels, leukocytes, and red cells, took urine samples, checked for eye injuries, and monitored pregnancies. In the Rungalab population, platelet levels fell to about 30% of normal by the fourth week. White blood cells counts fell to half of the normal by the sixth week. But at the six-week point, when the initial examinations were completed, these blood elements began moving back up toward normal levels. There was substantially less depression of platelet and white cell counts in the other groups, which received significantly lower doses of radiation. Despite the low platelet and white cell counts, there appears to have been little unusual bleeding or increased susceptibility to infection. Dr. Bond said there was some excessive menstruation and blood in the urine, but nothing that merited strenuous therapy. About 10 to 14 days after exposure, radiation burns began appearing. These burns were much more pronounced among the Rongelap people than those from Alienaganai and the U.S. servicemen on Rongerich, and there were no burns noted in the Uterich group. Often the burns are accompanied by itching, and some of the lesions on the top of the feet were described as painful. In two to three weeks, the burns began healing. There was some weight loss in the exposed population, 
and about 90% of the children and 30% of the adults lost hair. Dr. Bond told advisory committee staff that the exposed Marshallese seemed to be perfectly healthy people, but we were well aware of the latent period, and that they might well become ill later. He went on to say, and quite frankly I'm still a little embarrassed about the thyroid. The dogma at the time was that the thyroid was a radio-resistant organ. It turned out they had very large doses of iodine to the thyroid. Dr. Cronkite noted that there was nothing in the medical literature to predict that one would have a relatively high incidence thyroid disorders. In May 1954, the AEC told the DOD that the Utrecht people could return home following the completion of current tests, provided that specimens reveal absence of radioactive materials in quantity injurious to health. On Rongelap, however, radiation levels were considered to be too high. The Rongelapese people were moved to Aijet, a small island in Mayuro Atoll. The United States continues regularly to follow up the exposed Rongelapese and the Utrechtese. The U.S. servicemen were sent to Honolulu for further examination by Army physicians. But according to Dr. Cronkite, Somebody at a higher level within DOD decided that they did not want to study the American servicemen and cast them to the wind, sort of forget them. I think that's a terrible thing to do, but it was done. Medically, it was unacceptable. Dr. Cronkite went on to explain that if an induced cancer had been identified, early diagnosis and treatment might have benefited the exposed servicemen. The DOD reported to the advisory committee that 12 of the 28 servicemen were examined in 1979 by the Veterans Administration as part of a notification and medical examination program for military personnel exposed to radiation. We have not been able to determine whether any of the 28 had any other medical follow-up. The ILUC Exposure According to a report by Lt. Col. R. A. House, Based on an aerial survey done within 48 hours of the Bravo blast, quote, the only other atoll which received fallout of any consequence at all was Iluk. It is not clear to which atoll the word other applies. It was calculated that a lifetime dose would reach approximately 20 röntgens, about the same as, or slightly higher, than the exposure of the Utrecht population. Unlike the people of Utrecht and Rongelap, however, the people of Iluk, south of Utrecht and the eastern marshals, were not evacuated at all. The January 18, 1955, final off-site monitoring report of Operation Castle, however, gave the Iluk exposure, based on several aerial and ground readings, as 6.14 Röntgens. Readings from this report for other exposed atolls were as follows. Rongerik, 206. Rongelap, 202. Utrecht, 24. Alien Genai, 6.7. Likiap, 2.19. And Votja, 2.54. People living on these atolls would be exposed to additional radiation as a result of consuming contaminated food. Based on the initial readings of 20 Rutkins, 
the U.S. task force should have evacuated the people of Iluk. A 1987 epidemiological study reported in the Journal of the American Medical Association, however, shows higher rates of thyroid abnormalities on other atolls to the south and east of the blast site, including Jaluit and Eben. By the afternoon of March 4th, two ships, both destroyer escorts, seemed to have been available to evacuate the 400 or so people on Iluk. But according to Colonel House, the effort required to move the 400 inhabitants when weighed against potential health risks to the people of Iluk seemed too great, so it was decided not to evacuate the atoll. However, evacuation would have reduced the lifetime exposures of the Iluk population by a factor of three, according to an estimate provided by Thomas Kunkel of Los Alamos National Laboratory. In testimony before the advisory committee, Ambassador Wilfred Kendall of the Republic of the Marshall Islands noted that the United States government studied with interest the unexpected and dramatic incidence of thyroid disease on Utrecht Atoll, but no effort was made to reassess the health of the population on Iluk or Likiup or other mid-range atolls. End of section 62